It's me, David Webb, and here's a highlight from today's show on Sirius XM Patriot. Recently, the House Foreign Affairs Committee held a hearing on the Afghanistan withdrawal, uh, evaluating the withdrawal and U.S. policies we now know of. Ongoing meetings uh, between State Department or administration officials, uh, specifics not always uh, reported to the media, but uh, meetings with Taliban leaders. Taliban 2.0, but what's really going on here? What happened at the hearing? Did we learn anything of consequence, and did that lead to any further actions that matter to the consequences that are playing out for many still left behind, thousands still left behind uh, in Afghanistan? Dan Caldwell joins me to break this all down. Uh, Dan, of course, uh, with Concerned Veterans of America as their senior advisor and an Iraq War veteran. Dan, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on again, David. So let's dive in. Let's start with this hearing because, you know, typical D.C. hearings, I always ask the question, not only what did we hear there, what came out of it, but what was done after or what is going to be done? So how do you assess it? Well, I I think that the hearings were kind of symbolic of what Congress has done on Afghanistan over the past 20 years. And in Really, it's been a whole lot of nothing. And unfortunately, for the most part, the hearings of grandstanding, a lot of political posturing, a lot of um, one party blaming the other, you know, people trying to, to, on the left, trying to blame President Trump for his withdrawal plan, and, and people on the right, you know, trying to just simply focus on what happened during the final evacuation while, you know, really ignoring the broader failures of the 20 year war. And overall, it was very disappointing. There were some revealing moments, but those were few and far between, unfortunately. What were some of those revealing moments? I think the most revealing moment in the hearing was one that, that didn't get a whole lot of attention, and that was um, change, I believe, between General Milley, and this is actually in the Senate of the, of the hearing. This is during the Armed Services Committee hearing. Uh, General Milley and Elizabeth Warren. And General Milley earlier in the hearing had said that he had recommended to President Biden that he not withdraw, that he keep um, several thousand troops in Afghanistan, pretty much like he, he recommended to President Trump. But when press, General Milley, in effect, admitted that he didn't think that leaving those troops in Afghanistan would have changed the final outcome, meaning that the Afghan government was so rotted, so corrupt that it was just a matter of time before it collapsed. So essentially he was giving both President Trump and President Biden the choice of withdrawal or keep Americans in Afghanistan, start up start up the fighting again between the Taliban and the United States, just in service of losing more slowly. So he wasn't really giving anybody any options other than withdraw or just keep losing slowly. And I, I think that that was... A, a really revealing exchange about Millie's kind of mindset. And I think the mindset of a lot of these generals that really mismanaged the war over the past two decades, and it's that they just wanted to punt. They wanted to kick the can down the road so that the war didn't fall apart on their watch. And then they could go on CNN or, 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 or MSNBC and blame their successors for the failure 
and cover up their own lies and their own failures in the management of the war. Yeah, look, I, it's funny you use the word fun, punt, not funny in the sense of funny, but I used that word some time ago in describing this uh, this entire uh, debacle at the flag officer's level. You know, what you said about Milley sounded more like a, pol- a politician statement than a general who looks at the situation, gets the assessment from the officers on the ground, the combatant commanders, and he is an advisor and then advises the president accordingly. And, and no, no adapting to the situation was done here. So I'm not surprised by that. Is there any action, Dan, that could come out of this? You know, private organizations are doing the job that we should have continued to do when you look at the staged withdrawal that was underway uh, before Biden came into office and began reversing uh, policy and approaches. Well, I I think that, um, you know, again, as I've discussed on your show, I think both President Trump and President Biden made the right decision to withdraw. I think that we need to look at what went wrong um, in the planning. And I just want to say that, that Milley is, yes, an advisor. He's not in the chain of command. But, you know, the Joint, the joint Chief Staff has a, has a planning capability, and they are in many ways in charge of driving the creation of a lot of these military plans. And, and he clearly did not do a good job there. And frankly, another revealing thing from the hearing is he seemed to spend a lot of time talking to reporters on background for their books and trying to do his own brand management than, than planning. Um, and, and I think that is definitely something that needs to look at. In terms of going forward, I think that that really the only option we have, frankly, uh, to get people out of Afghanistan is this continued diplomatic engagement, this continued private engagement. Now, what, what I am seeing, and I am not involved in the day-to-day efforts, like many veterans are, uh, but I've talked to people involved, is, it, is that there's still a lot of bureaucracy, that a lot of it comes down to the Taliban's letting people leave, they have these flights ready to go, and it comes down to this bureaucratic arguments over manifests and landing rights. And so a month and a half into this thing, in a lot of cases, they just can't fix it. And it's just kind of the same administrative state nonsense. And I've said this you know, on other shows, is that you know, the same government that can't get you your IRS, um, you know, tax rebate in time, the same government that can't process your VA benefits, it's the same administrative mindset that is dealing with this issue. And it's the same, like, bureaucratic just bloat and slowness that people just can't break through. And that's a real, that's a real tragedy. Now, I just have to say is that there's some people like H.R. McMaster who are out there saying, well, we need to, to go in and bomb Afghanistan again. We need to set up a safe zone. That that would be disastrous. And you would truly have a, a true hostage situation where you would likely see more of our Afghan allies and American citizens dying uh, if we were to do something like that. So I think that, that quite firmly that is not the way to go, is you need to really break down a lot of this bureaucratic nonsense that is preventing us from getting people out in a timely manner. You know, somewhere between the two scenarios, right? You, know, you have the Millie view and the McMaster view of this, and somewhere in between there, 
Is there a path, and I'm not talking somewhere as in being in Afghanistan with a foothold in any way or a base, but, you know, the, appeal, the ability to deploy to dis- deploy and destroy terrorist buildup, whatever happens with al-Qaeda, you look at ISIS resurgence potentially, and, yeah, I know they talk about the, the fight between Taliban and ISIS, but how far that goes we'll have to wait and see. While al-Qaeda builds into the governing body with the Haqqani network, you know, do we maintain that ability? And, and that requires will, doesn't it, Dan? It requires the will of this presidency to say, if this reforms, we will go in and strike. See, you brought up a very important concept is the will. And I think that's the difference between pre-9-11 and post-9-11 is that we have demonstrated that we have the will to attack and kill terrorists that pose a threat to us. And I think the important thing here is that we should be more than willing to use force uh, to, to attack and kill terrorists that have the intent and the capability to harm us. And that's those two key things together. You just can't go and kill every wannabe Islamic fundamentalist who says a bad thing on a message board online. They have, you know, you have to do an assessment that they have the capability. And that's so you don't get rushed drone strikes like you saw in the, in the, in the final days of the evacuation. But again, going back to your comment about will, we had military options on the table pre 9-11 to kill Osama bin Laden. We had the ability to work with partners on the ground to kill Osama bin Laden. The will was not there. The, the will was not there to fall through with those options. Um, the will was not there to, to do what was necessary to deal with that threat because the mindset was is, is that this did not pose the type of threat that we later saw play out on 9-11. So I think, again, that's the key difference between now and pre-9-11. And we do have a lot of capabilities we didn't have, long-range strike and over the horizon. And, and yeah, I know it's, it's getting mocked, and it, it should be viewed skeptically because it's not perfect. But those capabilities are there, and they do not require several thousand troops on the ground in Afghanistan. No, and it'll be interesting to see how the Pakistanis come into play here, that narrow corridor. you got Pakistan, you have Iran, you have Afghanistan. Kind of in the middle of this, if you look at the geography, uh, how and where. Uh, you know, Dan, wandering a little bit into the north on this, and, uh, you know, we're beginning to see, you know, the lack of an insurgency or a resistance out of the north. Uh, does the Taliban... Uh, or have they moved further in uh, move forward even more in their consolidation of power? That is a big difference between um, pre 9-11 Taliban and post 9-11 Taliban is that they were able to win the support of large portions of the Uzbek and Tajik population in the northern part of the country. And that actually it was Tajik commanders um, who played a, a decisive role in um, helping to basically consolidate control of the northern part of the country right before the, the fall of Kabul. And it remains to be seen if they're going to be able to maintain the support of these groups. But I, I think it speaks to one thing as well, and, and this isn't to defend the Taliban. They're a ghoulish organization. They're, they're terrible 
Um, but at the end of the day, for, for many Afghans, including natural allies, people that had been oppressed under the Taliban, the Afghan government did not provide a viable alternative to them. The Afghan government was corrupt. It was almost as brutal as the Taliban in many cases. Um, you know, Dotsam, one of the major commanders in the north, you know, was highly corrupt, did, did unspeakable things to his opponents and the people that disagreed with him. And, and you know, likely drove many people that should have been natural allies to the Afghan government to the Taliban. And so that's why there isn't a resistance like you saw from 1996 to 2001, because it's just simply that the Afghan government was just so corrupt and it turned so many people away that the Taliban was able to fill that void and basically not prevent the conditions for insurgency to develop once they took Kabul. I think we're going to see the Taliban 2.0 continue, but not a uh, not a kinder, gentler, business-like Taliban, an all-inclusive Taliban. You know, it's a bit of fraud. Not a bit of, it's a fraud being perpetuated on the world and this goal of legitimacy. You know, what I see in a parallel here, Dan, is that the Taliban have learned from operations like the Muslim Brotherhood that they have both a political arm, social media, and insurgency arm, uh, that they've gotten better at forming a, for lack of a better term, a modern organizational structure, while in no way changing their, you know, backwards and centuries-old approach to life. Yeah, I, I, I think that's that's the correct way to look at it. I would say this, that they do have incentives. The biggest thing that matters to the United States is that Afghanistan does not become a staging base for transnational terrorist attacks. And, yeah, there, there's al-Qaeda in Afghanistan. They've been there, you know, even when we had a large military presence. But it's a question of, are they going to be able to project power from Afghanistan? Are they going to be able to, to project power in a way that harms Americans' interests? And the Taliban have very strong incentives, not just from the United States, but from other regional actors. I mean, Pakistan was duplicitous throughout the war. Um, they engaged in behavior that was counterproductive to, to American aims. But they, they do not have an interest in a resurgence of al-Qaeda, and neither does Iran, neither does, does China or any of the other Central Asian states there. So there are very strong incentives for them not to allow that to happen. Now, that's not a guarantee that, that, that they will not do that. But beyond anything else, that's our main interest going forward. And a lot of the stuff we're seeing, you know, with the treatment of women and, and other others in Afghanistan, that's terrible. But we spent 20 years and thousands of lives trying to shift Afghan culture and society to change that. And, and we, we ultimately could not do that. So we need to take a very narrow, frankly, cold-hearted look at our interests. And it really comes down to that one thing. And it's, 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 it's making sure that, that Afghanistan does not become a staging base for people to once again attack the United States. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you on that one. The main thing is to make sure they can't what serves our national interests. And if it does not, then 
you know, it, 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 you use cold-hearted. I call it realistic. And, it, yeah, it is cold-hearted, but it's very realistic, like any other sovereign body. Dan, always good to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you, David. Dan Caldwell, uh, Senior Advisor at Con- Concerned Veterans of America and an Iraq War veteran. You can join me live on the David Webb Show Monday to Friday, 9 to noon east on Sirius XM Patriot 125.